morning. Good job, Mark. How is Mark? Are you, are you, uh, do you have sweats, cold sweats, fever? Yeah, but your did you treat your wounds? Okay. I felt so bad. Mark came to help me yesterday. Can I tell this? Okay. Mark came to help me on my honeydew project yesterday, and I gave him my nail gun, framing gun. And as he's holding it, getting used to it, he says, have you ever shot yourself with this thing? And I was like, no, just with the little nails, never with a big nail. So he was getting used to it. And about five minutes later, he climbed down off the ladder, and he's kind of holding his arm. He's like, huh. And I looked down, I'm like, huh. And there was a nail, at least an inch deep. And Mark's like, what do I do? Should I pull it out? Not You didn't know it, but I had pliers in my hand. I was ready to yank, and then you just, you did it. So we're, we're glad to have Mark with us this morning. I'll check on you later, make sure you don't have fever or something like that. How's everybody else doing? That's really bad. I should have, um, nobody's going to want to help me on my projects after this, so... Uh, I believe that Buddy and Allie had an anniversary this week, and they may be gone uh, celebrating that this weekend. So if we see them or jump on Group Me and uh, wish them happy anniversary, which is a good plug because I never say this. I'm horrible. We have little cards over there. Uh, as a church, we communicate through the Group Me app. Uh, so if you want to know what's going on, be in the loop, uh, don't be caught off guard. Uh, you want a chance to be a part of other things that are going on uh, with our church family besides Sunday morning. Uh, all you got to do is one of those cards on that table. It's on the, the front right. Uh, just put a phone number and a name, and we'll add you to the group me. Uh, the only step you have to do other than giving us phone number and name is to download the group me app if you haven't already. Um, so it's a blue square with... I don't remember what the symbol was, but that's what you'll find it on your app store. Um, that's the easiest way for us to communicate other than social media, uh, which is a good time now to say if you're with us online, share, like, do all those things. Um, good stuff. Anybody remember what we're talking about through the next few weeks? Good job. Where'd that come from? Oh, look at that. Look at that. Ecclesiastes. Anybody remember who wrote that? You get brownie points, Sam. <laughs> no, so Sam came to help me on a project one time, and I almost killed him too. Um, remember the time the tractor? Yeah. I thought that was a secret. It's been long enough. I think we can tell that story. I told, I gave Sam about a thirty-second verbal lesson on how to drive the tractor. We were getting lumber, wood ready for a bonfire, and Sam was on the tractor hauling wood in the bucket, and uh, something happened and couldn't figure out how to stop it. And it began gaining speed, <laughs> going down, backwards. Uh, backwards, going downhill backwards, couldn't stop it, uh, ran off the road, eventually maybe came to rest on a tree, I'm not sure. Nobody should come, yeah, nobody should come home. 
Well, y'all, y'all don't know, if, if you don't know yet, I am not an OCD type. When it comes to getting stuff done, I just like get a general direction. I'm like, let's go. So sometimes if you're unfamiliar with the territory we're going in, that might not be good for you. <laughs> Because um, we did have to recut a few things yesterday because I have that mentality. I'm that way in ministry too. I have an idea. Let's knock it out. Uh, and then somebody else has to say, what about the details? I'm like, I hadn't thought about those yet. <laughs> Meaningless. Uh, the, the, the author of, yeah, kids can go back. Y'all can go back. Y'all have fun with Miss Shelley. Uh, <laughs> the author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, identifies himself as the teacher or the preacher, depending on what... Uh, Version and he, he opens his 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 writings up with just saying everything's meaningless. He's like, uh, all of life is meaningless. It's pointless. Uh, the old King James would have said vanity. Everything is vanity. Um, <clears throat> so that's kind of what we've titled our conversation over the next few weeks is meaningless. Last week we hit on um, kind of Solomon's mentality towards life and it's like I've, I've tried everything. Like I didn't, he said I've made a lot of money, I've hired a lot of people, I've built a lot of things, I've tried every pleasure that I desired, I withheld nothing from myself and in the end I've concluded it's just all pointless. Uh, it's just all pointless. He was kind of at this point of um, is he in despair or is, is it like the key to deliverance and we or at least I, I don't know if you agreed with me, but I, I, I concluded that Solomon had identified not uh, a point of despair, but a point of deliverance, that he was delivered from uh, thinking that life was the sum total of your successes or your possessions uh, or the amount of pleasure that you can experience in the short few days you have. His conclusion was that everything we have is a gift from God and it should be enjoyed in the presence of God. Uh, and that was the deliverance that he found, was um, that I want to enjoy the gift giver, that he is my God, and, and, and under him, with him, I can enjoy his gifts fully. But apart from him, the gifts become gods who dominate me and will eventually come to my ruin. So putting things into perspective, God is God and everything I have is a gift. And when I have that perspective of life, I can enjoy his gifts to the fullest extent. Apart from that, they dominate me. Uh, and gifts become gods, and that's obviously a bad thing. So, this morning we're in chapter 3. Um, speaking of meaningless, Tyler and I, like I said, we work together uh, on a daily basis. And I, I always joke that I don't know how many words we speak a day that are just completely meaningless. But we have a lot of chatter through the day that adds up to absolutely nothing. Um, most of that comes from me, just because I like to talk and enjoy my day. Um, and we were driving down South Street the other day, and Tyler, if y'all don't know Tyler yet, get to know him. He's a good guy. Um, he says things, and I don't know where they come from. I don't know what's going on in his noggin. Um, but we're driving down South Street, and then all of a sudden, according to me, it was out of the blue. He had a rationalization that a lady figured out. But he begins to tell me about baboons. We're driving down South Street, and he said, you know that sometimes baboons will kidnap dogs, and they will train them and make these dogs into their pets. 
And these dogs live in the tribe of the baboons as pets of the baboons. And the dogs are happy with it. Like after a while, it's just good. What are you talking about? (laughs) What are you talking about, Tyler? He said, well, I saw a dog. Somebody was walking a dog on a leash, and it just made me think. That dog was so happy to be on that leash. And yet they're equally happy to be in a tribe of baboons. (laughs) Good story, Tyler. That's good. That's good. But then it proceeded into a story dialogue. This is how our day goes. Um, The difference in dogs and humans. And we we began the conversation. Would humans be equally happy in a tribe of baboons if we didn't know any better? Right? Could you put us on a leash if we didn't know any better and let us just have our tongue wagging and be perfectly content? Um, If somebody didn't tell you that there was more to life or if you didn't observe it for yourself, could we be equally content as the dog on a leash? Uh, So that's how my day goes when I'm hanging out with Tyler. Uh, The conclusion is this. We have a nagging sense that there is something else. Like we have this internal nagging sense that there is something else to life, something outside of our current reality, and that something, whether we identify it or not, becomes or can become a drawing force of discontentment. Right? So that's right. Um it becomes a drug. That, that nagging sense in our mind becomes, it can become like this external force that just causes an internal discontentment. This is, I think, leads really well into Ecclesiastes chapter 3 with our second observation. So let me read, and I think it'll be up there on the screen. Uh, and if you have a Bible, you can jump in there as well. Ecclesiastes 3, starting in verse 1, Solomon says, For everything there is a season. There's a time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to harvest. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. That time is always... Uh, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to heal or keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak. Now is the time to speak. Uh, A time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What do people really get for all their hard work? I've seen the burden God's placed on us all. Yet, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded that there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. Uh, Let's pray together and we will see what God might want to tell us this morning. Father, we thank you for this day, for those that are in this room uh, gathering. uh, We gather together, Father, ultimately we gather to you. 
and we ask you to speak um, what you know we need to hear this morning. Father, um, we are your people, and, and I give you myself this morning to, uh, to speak to us. Uh, we thank you for Jesus, for the gift, the greatest gift we've ever received, which is uh, salvation that comes through him. Uh, help us to trust and to follow Jesus in every day. Amen. Amen. So here's our outline for today. Sometimes I give away the outline on the front end, just so you know where we're going. That's the case today. Uh, number one, God placed a sense of eternity in the human heart. That's what Solomon said. Like there's this internal sense that there's something more than our current reality. Uh, number two, uh, the problem is we cannot see the big picture of God's work at this time. We have this inner sense that there's something more, but we don't know the big picture. We don't know from beginning to end, and that's where our discontentment comes from. right? It's, that's why you can't be a dog on a leash just happy to be walking with your owner because there's this internal force that causes discontentment. Number three, and this is the last point we have this morning, the cure for our discontentment is learning to enjoy each unique season as a gift from God. That's the key this morning. Learn to enjoy each unique season as a gift from God, and we will find the cure for contentment, for the cure for discontentment that we struggle with. So, speaking of seasons, that's what the author says. He said, there's a, there's a, there's a season for every activity under heaven. Um, how many seasons do we have? Good job. I've illustrated them so well for you uh, on our board this morning. Which season would you guess people generally rate as their least favorite? Winter. Winter, just because it's your least favorite. Uh, the, yeah, uh, consistently, uh, I did a scientific, no, I just looked on the internet. Um, but there's, all the polls agree that winter is most consistently rated as the least favorite, specifically January through March, people's least favorite months of the year. Um, so here's the question, why do we love to hate winter so much? Why do we love to hate winter so much? What is it that we struggle with in the winter season? I heard depressing. Burden. Depressing. Cold. What else we got? Can't get outside. Yep. Dark. Mm. Um. <laughs> Dead stuff. We all know what that means. It's plants, right? Um. No color. Shelly planted all our flowers yesterday. The first color we always have is green weeds. Um, that's the good thing about having a yard with no grass is your, your yard gets green really quick every year. But it also grows really fast, uh, and you got to chop the weeds down. But we got flowers yesterday, so that was exciting. Um, so 
Here's why we love to hate winter so much, the burden, the depression. Uh, we were in Chicago a couple of years ago in October, and it was beautiful. It was like 60 and sunny and awesome. And they're like, yeah, enjoy it. This is the last week. It's going to be cold and dark for the next six months. Like, we're not going to go outside. I'm like, I cannot live in Chicago. That's awful. Um, and I think for me, also, um, you got to stay inside. Uh, that equals also, like, all the extracurriculars that we enjoy doing outside, uh, disc golf and whatever it is. Um, they just shut down in the winter months. So not only is it dark, but... Uh, that equals a lack of activity that we get to enjoy, less productivity. It's always dark when I get home. Like, how sad is that to get home at 5 o'clock from work and it's already dark? Um, so it's kind of like, uh, it, like wasp. Uh, it's it's kind of like ants. It's like all those things that are a nuisance. You, you, you come to the conclusion, if, like, if there's so many bad things about these things, why do we even have them? Like, why don't we even have winter? If, it's, if there's really nothing good that seems that nobody likes it, why don't we even have it? Uh, well, on the flip side, while we see all these things on the surface, under the surface, the shorter days allow for plants to become dormant. And what do plants do when they're dormant? They store energy, which produces bigger, more colorful blooms in the spring. Okay. So all those flowers that my wife planted yesterday, those could not look so great if winter did not allow that plant to be dormant, right? So it wouldn't bloom and be as beautiful as it is in the spring. The colder days also mean fewer bugs. Like that was my dance. There's a time to dance. And when we had a snowstorm for a week, I was doing the mosquito dance. Mosquitoes and ticks, right? I'm like, yes, like we haven't had a freeze in years. That's why our kids are covered in ticks and we can't go outside for mosquitoes. So I did a little dance celebrating the fact that there will be fewer bugs in the springtime because colder days uh, decrease that, decrease uh, also the diseases that come from that. last thing I got is colder nights uh, apparently cause better sleep in the wintertime. Um, like, we're like big bears that go into hibernation apparently. Um, so we go into a deep sleep when, when it's cooler and it says that in the summertime, it takes us longer to get to that point. Um, so you sleep better. So you're kind of like the dormant flower that's storing up energy um, or the big grizzly bear that's sleeping in a cave. Um, so these are the things that are happening under the surface. Winter may be our least favorite, and we spend the whole winter like looking forward to summer. We got our uh, boat seats reupholstered during the winter. Why? Because in the wintertime, all I can think about is summertime. Um, but it proves to hold like this really significant importance. The season we dislike the most holds significant importance in the rest of the seasons. So the question is, he, he says there's a time to give birth, a time to die, plant, uproot, kill, heal, tear down, to build, to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. To throw stones, to gather stones, to embrace, to avoid embracing, that's uh, social distancing. Um, so there's all these seasons in life, and I'm going to ask you now, you can answer this out loud or, or at least conclude it within your mind, what season are you in? What season do you find yourself in? It's like, that's a weighty question, right? I thought we were talking about other stuff, but no. Um, 
Like there's all these seasons. And there's seasons you may find yourself dancing and celebrating. There's seasons you may find yourself mourning. Uh, there's seasons where you're building things. There's seasons where you're tearing things down. What, if you could summarize the season you're in with a, with a word or a phrase, what season would you be in? And I'm going to ask you a follow-up question here. What season do you find yourself wishing to be in? Right? If, you, if, if you find yourself in one of those burdening, depressing, cold, dark seasons, like you're in a winter season of life, odds are you find yourself like longing to be in another season. So what season is that? How would you describe the season you long to be in? Right? In the building season. In the, in all the yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? In the season of rest, you long to build, and in the season of building, you long to rest. There's like this discontentment that's drawing us no matter what season we're in. So we have this sense of something else. Um, anybody else got anything that you just want to reflect out loud on? I didn't know if that would actually draw a vocal response. I'm glad it did. Um, I kind of wanted to go, and, 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 and sometimes I ask those questions and I don't actually consider them myself, but I, I got to thinking about that over the last couple of days and what season uh, can I reflect on. And, and I remember the season kind of similar to what y'all just described. Um, when this church started, um, so, like, we kind of transitioned about three years ago. Um, it hadn't been a straight shot. There's been some U-turns and some redirectings of things. Um, but I'd say about two years ago, uh, this actual family formed uh, and began to go the direction we still find ourselves in. Uh, so about two years ago, I can reflect on that season. And that was kind of a season of giving birth. Right, so it's a season of birthing this church. Um, it was also a season of me becoming a part of our uh, interior design company. So we were like birthing this company, birthing this church. We'd already birthed four kids, so we're still trying to raise them because uh, you can't birth things and then just let them be. You actually got to take care of them. Um, but I reflect on that season two years ago, and that was a really hard season for me. Uh, when you're, it's it's like. <laughs> when we were at the hospital and for delivery of our oldest child, Micah, 12 years ago, um, like husbands, men, if, if, if you have a wife that's giving birth, don't ask her, how are you doing? <laughs> that was the, apparently the wrong question. Um, because during delivery, there's birth pains, right? It's, it's not a pleasant process. Um, so don't ask stupid questions. Um, and two years ago, 
we were having birth pains from a lot of directions at one time. And I remember even as we were meeting at the station over there, it may have been Sam and Andrew and a couple of you guys kind of came up to me like, are you okay? <laughs> and like my answer was like, no, like I'm really struggling in this season. Um, because there was a lot of birth pains that came from that time of giving birth. Yeah, you're celebrating. Wow, we've got this new church family. Wow, we've got this new company, and things are good and growing. And sometimes they're growing, sometimes they're shrinking, and it's just this really emotional process. And I remember that season being so difficult. Um, but now we find ourselves in a in a different season. I feel like things are birthed, and and I feel like the church and the company are kind of in the same place that my children are in. It's like wow, they've been birthed, and they're old enough to brush their teeth, and I don't have to do everything, but I still got to care for them. And I feel like that's where the church is, too. It's like, wow, there's things happening that I'm not actually doing. right? It's like my kids, they jump on their bike, and I don't see them for three hours. I don't know what they're doing. Um, and the church is at the same place, and, and, and you're out of the birth pains, and you're actually in a, in a place where you're like finding joy by observing what your children are doing. It's like, wow, how'd you learn that? How'd you know that? And, and our church is kind of doing the same thing. So we've kind of exited those birth pains, in that season of giving birth, and now I find myself in a new season, which, kind of like he says, it's, 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 it's far more busy, but it's not quite as burdensome. So it's just different. There's a season for everything. There's a season for everything. Um, but the fact that you wish for another season is proof of Solomon's words. I think that internal discontentment that you feel, even when you're in the season you wanted to be in, like it's like, I'm in that season now, but I'm longing for something else now. That internal discontentment is proof of what Solomon said, where he said, God has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. You're not a dog on a leash, Right? Because you have this sense. You don't know what it is, but you have this sense. Uh, I have a sense of something else, a a sense of something outside my current reality, and that becomes a drawing force causing discontentment. let Let me say that. It can become a drawing force that causes discontentment. In my notes, that's a capital C A N. It can. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. And actually, I want to say that it should not be a source of discontentment. What you don't see in the season you long to be in should not become the source of our discontentment. You're like, yeah, well, that's easy to say, really hard to do, right? Um, That's why it's good to be me. (laughs) I just get to say things. Um, But then when we go outside and we go back to life and we're like, well, Josh said that I shouldn't feel this way. Man, I long for the next season. Okay, so what's the... What's the trick? What do we do? What do we do? Like the winner, Solomon also says, God has made everything beautiful in its own time. Every season is beautiful in its own time. And the trick is learning to value the beauty of each season. And if each, uh, let, let, let's read, I want to go back and read verses 1 through 8 again. He said, if, there's, if, if everything is beautiful, think about that statement as we reread 
verses 1 through Everything is beautiful in its own time. Okay, now let's read this again. There's a time to give birth, and there's a time to die. There's a time to plant, and a time to uproot. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to tear down, and a time to build. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to throw stones, and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace, and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. But God has made everything beautiful for its own time. If every season holds its own beauty, it also holds its own purpose. Okay? It's like the winter. Like externally on the surface, you're like, I don't like any of the realities of winter. But under the surface, it, it, it holds this purpose. Um, and I think that's to our frustration. Right? Because we're like visual, we want to see the good things. But when all the value is under the surface, it becomes to our frustration, Right? Because we can't see the whole picture from beginning to end. We have this sense there's something else. Like in the winter months, it's like, man, we've been inside for three months. My kids are just addicted to video games, and we haven't been outside in months. What's the point? Well, the point is not above the surface. It's under the surface. And as, as people, we have to recognize that we don't always see the beauty of the season on the surface. Um, we have to learn to consider what our discontentment could cause us to miss, miss out in each season. Learn to consider. Consider what? What could my discontentment cause me to miss out on before I wish this season away? Like, I hate this season. This is a winter season for my life. It's a time to weep, a time to mourn, a time to... All the things that we don't want to do. I'm discontent. I wish that I was in a different season. Yeah, before you wish that, what what could I miss if I wish this season away? What value lays underneath the surface that that I really need for the next season? Right? Uh, Because God has made everything beautiful in its own time. So if I'm going to, before I wish this away, because if I wish this season away, I'm going to miss the value. Even though it's dark, even though it's frustrating, even though it's not ideal, it's not beautiful, there's not blooms everywhere in my life, it's kind of like a winter month, before I wish it away, let me consider what I could actually be missing out on if I do so. Um, So in the application of this, I started to give you my own application, then a passage came to mind that I think Paul in Philippians 4 actually gives us some good content for how to handle seasons in our life. So we're just going to end right here in Philippians chapter 4 um, and just apply Paul's instruction to Solomon's reflections. Okay. Uh, so in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 5, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Actually, let me start later. He says, uh, Paul 
concludes what I'm about to read with this. He says, I've learned to be content in any and every situation. I've learned to be content in any and every situation. So that that sense of something else, longing for the next season, Paul said, I've learned the secret of defeating that. I've learned to deal with my discontentment. We're like, ooh, tell me what you've learned. That's what we're going to look at right here in this handful of verses. Okay? So when we talk about wishing your season away and being discontent with your current setup in life, how do I deal with that? Well, that's, Paul said, I've learned the secret to being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether having plenty or whether I have wants. Right? So let's look at the secrets that he learned. Verses 4 through 5. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone, because the Lord is near. Uh, Application number one, choose to rejoice when you feel like complaining. Choose to rejoice when you want to complain. It's easy to complain. It's easy to moan. It's easy to point out why somebody else is making my season of life bad. It's easy to point out the things that are hard, that are dark, that are frustrating. But he says the secret to being content in any and every situation begins with choosing to rejoice when you feel like complaining. And he gives his reason to rejoice because the Lord is near. Which goes back to what Solomon said. He's like, there's nothing better than to eat, to drink, and to enjoy the gifts of God with him. Because he is near. Like in Jesus, you have the presence of God in your everyday life, which enables you to enjoy the gifts of God to the fullest extent. So, because the Lord is near, choose to rejoice when you feel like complaining. You'd be amazed at, like when the words of your mouth shift from complaining to rejoicing. You'd be amazed how that will impact your heart. Right? You, ever, you got anybody in your life that just always moans? I don't want to be around that person. That's so depressing. But you can do that to yourself too, I think. Like if you're the one who always moans, I think you'll drag yourself down, just like you drag your friends down. Choose to rejoice. You don't feel like rejoicing. I don't care. That's not what it said. It didn't say you felt like rejoicing. It said choose to. Not no, faking it. Yeah, exactly. Like, like know why it's rejoicing. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's not just, you know, don't just change your words. That will mm. never do anything. And the motivation that Paul gave is because the Lord is near. Yeah. Like, do you know that the Lord, or what is it, uh, the, the Beatitudes, you know, where it's like Jesus says, all like, uh, those who are poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of God, or mm. what, you know, whatever he says. It's like there's so many truths in the word that would tell you, like, I'm poor in spirit, you know, like, mm-hmm. I'm not happy, like, you look at people that are all happy all the time, and you go, like, well, I have a promise from God that says the poor in spirit mm-hmm. will inherit God, or, you know, so on and so forth, and there's so many things, or God is near the brokenhearted, you know, mm-hmm. if you're brokenhearted, then you have something to rejoice over, yeah. you know, it's not just, well, better start rejoicing, you know, yep. for no reason, it's like, man, you know, you need to learn, you know, the truth, I mean, learn what Christ did for you, that you were wretched sinner deserving hell and everything you have besides hell right now is a blessing. Yep. The fact that you're not dead right now, is, which is what you deserve because the wages of sin are death, mm. you should be happy. The fact that you have food to eat, I mean there's people in the world right now that don't have any food to eat and the fact that you can 
go to bed every night with a full stomach is something to rejoice forever about and never stop rejoicing. It's it's choosing to set your eyes on things that are worthy. And that goes to um, what he says in verse 8. But look at verses 6 and 7. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. So my point number two is choose to pray when you want to worry. And he gives you permission, ask for anything you want, but give thanks for what you have. Right. So you have permission before the throne of God to ask the King of Kings for anything you want. Pray. When you feel like worrying, go to the King of Kings, who also happens to be your Father through Jesus. And, and you have permission to ask for anything you want. He's not going to turn his nose up at you or be like, like, God, you're an idiot for asking that. Ask big. Ask whatever you want. But simultaneously, be sure to give thanks for what you have. Because, I think he gives that there, he says, when we pray with thanksgiving, he said, Jesus actually sets up a military guard around your heart. That's the language he's using. And he like protects you from the enemy. But when we fail to give thanks, it's like what Derek said, I've got I to observe, choose to rejoice. And, and, and this is like the application of choosing to rejoice. When I feel like complaining, I'm going to rejoice through prayer. And when I do that with thanksgiving, Jesus sets up a military guard around my heart that keeps the enemy from penetrating. Now, when I choose to complain, what happens is that guard opens up and the enemy is able to penetrate. Okay? So this is kind of the application to the first point that he gave. Choose to rejoice when you want to complain, but choose to pray when you want to worry. But when you pray, you can ask for anything, but be sure to give thanks for what you have. And that keeps you from being depressed about what you think you don't have. Okay? And I think there's some keys in there. Last thing he says is in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just... Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. So my summary for that is think about what is true when deceitful thoughts try to take over. You've got to choose what you're going to dwell on. And choose to dwell on what is true and praiseworthy when deceitful thoughts try to take over. These are the the secrets to contentment in every season that Paul says he had to learn. So number one, don't beat yourself up because you're stinking it up on this and discontentments. Man, I wish I was in a different season. This season sucks. (laughs) Right? Now I heard this, and now I feel like a loser because I don't know the secret. I don't know the trick. Right? No, that, no, 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 no. Like, the man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament says this was something that I learned over time. Like, this was a process in my life. This was a pro- he says, I have learned the secret to being content. And was, what does that mean? That means there were seasons of life where Paul was discontent, where he was frustrated. 
with the season he was in. Um, but it shouldn't be that way. As children of God, we uh, are designed and, and recreated to not be dominated by this. Like as children of God, we should be able to look to our Father and, and rejoice in what he has done, what he is doing, even though what he's doing may be under the surface right now. I have faith and I can trust that what is unseen will bloom, right? This may be a winter month, but this winter month may be the most necessary to bringing the beauty of the spring, okay? And before I wish this season away, I should do really well to consider what I might miss if I just bypass it, all right? That's, yeah, that's what even Solomon says, that God's put something, a sense of eternity in our heart. It's let an end, like, right now, and that goes to kind of the last thing I want to observe as we close down. None of this makes sense without confidence that in this dark season, Jesus is working under the surface, behind the scenes, to bring about, like, this beautiful change. Like Derek said, even if, like, your season goes through this life, this life is not the conclusion of things. There's eternity that is at hand. And Jesus' ultimate work 
will not be um, realized, if you want to call it the spring, like the, the rebirthing, uh, won't be realized in this life. It will be realized when Jesus returns. So there are some things that we will need to learn the secret to being content with in this life because they will only be fully restored in the next when Jesus returns. Um, and the eternity in our hearts will be revealed at that point when He returns, and then, and only then, will Solomon's words be undone, because when Jesus returns and makes all things new, then we will see the whole scope of His work. At that moment, we will see what He was doing from beginning to end. But Derek's right, we may, in this life, not have that opportunity, but when Jesus returns, all things will be revealed. What began in his death, what was confirmed in his resurrection, will be revealed when he returns. When Jesus was crucified, he became a seed to the resurrection. He became, um, he, he gave up his life, they put him in the ground. And then it was confirmed at the resurrection that he wasn't just buried, but that he was, like Derek said, a seed that was going to be resurrected. He had to die so that he could be resurrected. And then, so it was confirmed that the resurrection was going to happen in us. When he returns and makes all things new, you too will be resurrected in the same way that he was. And at that moment, we will see the whole scope of his work. Until then, we would do well to learn the secret to being content in every situation. Okay? There's going to be a lot of reasons to be discontent. Even in our good seasons, you're going to be wishing for a better one. <laughs> like, dang, you've never looked up and been like, this is it. Like, I finally arrived. Everything's good now. No. No, because we're really good at picking out what's wrong, not what's good. I'm going to pray, and Tyler and Derek are going to come lead us in a time of worship this morning. Um, man, this all begins with Jesus, though. Like, I, I don't know how... I don't, I don't have any information for you apart from Jesus. Like, if, if you're in a a season of your life that you're just not happy with, I, I'm, I could give you some self-help, but I don't think it'll help. I think the only answer is that Jesus took the wages of our sin upon his own body. We deserve to die, but he died for us. Um, and because he lives, we get to live with him. And because we get to live with him, it's going to be all right. The God of the universe is in our presence and on our side. And if he can be for us, then who can be against us? Apart from that message, I don't know what to tell you. But life stinks, and then you die. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for everyone in this room.